Welcome to the English Subject Specialists Champions of Change podcast, brought to you by Educate and the English Association. Welcome to the final of our four podcasts exploring how English Subject Specialists can be champions of change. This can be within their providers, anywhere in the world, with one individual student or everywhere in between. We have four topics we intend to chat about in the series, and in this podcast we're exploring English as a subject which helps individuals to develop empathy. I'm Kate Hazelgrove and I work at the University of Derby as an FE teacher trainer. I also work for the ETF through Touch Consulting and I was an English teacher in FE for about 10 years. We have two other English specialists with us as guests today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself please Pam. Uh, my name is Pamela Dale. Um, I work at Calderdale College as a GCSE English teacher to recent students and I'm also one of the advanced practitioners at the college. Thank you so much, Pam. We'll hear a little bit more about who you are and, and what you care about in a bit. Um, and Sarah, if you could introduce yourself as well, please. Yeah. Hello. Hi, I'm Sarah Peters. I'm a uh, lecturer for ESOL uh, at an FE college. And ESOL uh, is the uh, student's English as a second or other language. And I work with adult learners aged 19 years plus. Lovely. Thank you so much. Um, Two very different positions there, but in similar kind of providers. So that'll be a really interesting conversation that we're about to have. So we're going to do this podcast um, partly in a thinking environment. So thinking environment is a concept created by Nancy Klein, uh, where we take it in turns to share our independent thinking after being asked a question. No one can interrupt each other and you pass on to the next person. Um, the idea behind this is that uh, because you're not being interrupted, you explore the very uh, the very deepest um, independent thinking that the uh, well that you would more so than you normally would um, because of that lack of interruption and that attention that you're getting from others. Um, Klein's concept came from the quality of everything we do depends on the quality of the thinking we do first, um, which is why independent thinking can be so powerful um, when given the space to do that. So we always demonstrate an ethics of care as our friends in GFE have taught us during a thinking round. Um, so our first question is, how are you? So I'm gonna ask Pam if she can tell us how she is today. Um, I'm feeling quite well today. I have been ill for a number of weeks, so it's been quite tough, but um, I feel as though I'm over the worst of it now and um, really looking forward to getting back to work next week and to being there for my students and hoping that being off has given me the strength to continue right the way through to Christmas and to not have any time off because that's really important to me. I want to be there as, as a, a, a continuous figure throughout the year for my learners. Um, so, yeah, I feel really good today, really positive. Over to Sarah. Well, I'm well. I, I'm I'm tired because um, I've been meeting and enrolling students for the start of the new year this week and last week, um, and I've been planning and moving offices and uh, just trying to get a grip on my class numbers which seem to change every few minutes as more students are coming forward for enrollment but it, it's such an exciting time I love this time of year because it's just it's a, it's a new beginning and I'm really happy about my first classes starting on Monday and getting to know new students and seeing some some familiar friends that come back as well and Kate over to you Thank you so much. Um, so I am feeling very jolly today because um, I've had three weeks annual leave and all of that time I've been in isolation for various different members of my family. So it might, uh, I had 10 days for my daughter Luna who didn't have any symptoms or, or anything and then um, a further few days for my son who um who had a temperature, bless him. But luckily, nobody had COVID, so I need to be grateful for that. But I've been back to work today, um, and I've been planning stuff um, for the te trainee teachers, so that's been really cool. Um, 
and it's very much new beginnings in our house too because Luna start my, my daughter Luna starts school next week um and little baby Milo has started saying mommy instead of mama so I think that must be um some kind of signifier that that more things are going to come out soon which is exciting so yeah I'm feeling good um so we're going to move on to the next question now uh, which is again in a thinking round what are your values as an English subject specialist and this time I'm going to ask Sarah if she would start please yes thank you Kate so I, I, I started my ESOL career as a classroom teacher. Um, I didn't know anything as a, as a newly qualified teacher other than the curriculum I was given, the scheme of work I, I had to create myself. So I was uh, guided completely by the set of materials that was handed to me. And I used those for probably four or five years before I started to get a feeling that there was something, something about it just didn't sit right with me. And um, it's led me to work with action research methods as a way to reflect on what I do and what I could do differently and to think about different activities I could try uh, to test those out to think about what's worked, what doesn't work, what doesn't work so well, and what I could do next time to try to keep on finding ways to improve the experience in the classroom. So I, I like to invite my students to join me in this process. Uh, it's their free choice, there's, there's, no, there's no compulsion, but uh, I really like to hear what uh, their suggestions are, what they want to learn, and to get their feedback their opinions about their classes so that they can influence the content of the classroom um, and together we it helps us I think together to build a more supportive relationship that that we're uh, uh, we're open with each other I'm, I don't stand up as the font of all knowledge and the controller of the classroom that it's a it's a team effort in the classroom um, and I think that helps to build uh, self-confidence and community alongside knowing that I still need to cover that day-to-day -day scheme scheme of work. So I, I see that my role balances language learning for the accurate language skills that student, students need when they're learning English as a second or other language, but also a, a fluency. And that's helped me to develop an integrated circles process that combines the core work of eSoul of reading, writing, speaking and listening with thinking, uh, discussion work and, and sort of a critical relationships in the classroom. Um, so I feel that my values really are to listen to the students, to be attentive to their needs, but also not to forget that the college has needs as well. I have to teach certain topics. We have to look at certain text types and tasks and language skills. We need to do those for the exams and the, the college needs the students to pass exams for their own success rates, for their own, for their own data. And exams, well, they're necessary for the students as the stepping stone for their future courses, for work, uh, for, for daily communication skills. But I'm also very aware that adult ESOL students have many other reasons for coming to college, uh, where they can find friends, a routine, and support in what can be for them, some of them, a very unsettled time, perhaps traumatic time. Uh, these are people that have left a life they knew in, in other countries, and they're starting afresh in the UK, and many of the students I meet have been forced to leave their country because of political unrest, um, persecution, uh, the situation that we sadly now we're seeing on the news from Afghan Afghanistan. Some of those people will, I will see them, I will meet those people in my classroom at some point. Um, so it's important for me to try to let everybody know they have a safe space 
in the class. Uh, it's okay here to, you can try new things. It's okay to make mistakes. We learn when we make mistakes and that you will be listened to and that we all learn with and from each other. And we can all learn together by, by sharing our different knowledge and our different experiences. So I, I would say my values are about a community of learning. And sometimes that's about exchanging as the teacher, maybe I'm modeling and together we're practicing language facts like spelling, punctuation and grammar. But sometimes it's about a, a, deeper, a deeper kind of learning experience where we explore themes um, and personal connections to the language texts and tasks uh, and so I like to see this in the in the words of Dennis Carter, who he was talking about primary school, primary teaching fiction in primary. But I think there's a crossover to what happens in the circle process that I work with, which is about relating life with text, text with life and seeing the links. Over to Pam. Um, for me, um, my values, I came into teaching because my eldest two children really struggled at school and it never felt that parents' evening was a very joyous occasion. It never felt that we ever had any feedback from the school that was positive and that came to, I suppose, a head, really, um, when my youngest daughter was born. Um, my mum sadly passed away when she was five weeks old. And my eldest daughter at that time was um, 15. And studying Romeo and Juliet at school and was really upset about her grandma passing away and didn't understand Romeo and Juliet. And my son had had lots of kind of negative feedback from teachers and so I decided that I'd retrain and I'd become a teacher and my ambition was to teach not in a school it was always in FE colleges to teach the students who for whatever reason hadn't attained the magical grade four or the C or you know whatever is deemed to be successful and so for me I think my drive is giving the students I teach something new, something different, a different relationship than they've had in school. And, you know, this podcast is about empathy. And I think for me, my value was that empathy. It was trying to show these students that, you know, very many of them, and because just the of the way that society is kind of were programmed if you didn't get the the grade c or the grade four at school you, they come to fe colleges as failures in, in inverted commas and for me it was about my values were about stripping that back and to say no you're not a failure you didn't achieve the grade four or the c but if we can come at this from a different approach you know the grade isn't the it's the end goal for the college and it's the end goal for you know careers and things but perhaps the end goal really is that understanding of themselves and how you know it's okay to fail sometimes because failure is the road to success and it's for me that was my driving force you know I'm completely and utterly you know, my classrooms are based on honesty and trust and respect and um, responsibility. You know, I, I, they have to have responsibility for their own learning. But I think for me, it's it's somehow building that confidence and being encouraging and to empower them to take charge and to understand that they can achieve and whether that achievement is getting the grade for or whether it's just having the confidence to go out into the world and to to discover things to dream about things to do things to 
become part of society that is in a positive way and for me also things that have really sort of changed for me over this past year is thinking about the classroom we talk about communities of practice in AP Connect and for me that's something that I've sort of carried forward into the classroom to think about this community of learners the this constellation of learners that you know we have constellation in the classroom but they have constellations outside of the college um, in their home life or their work life or their social life and for me this year it's been about the individual and their story and how getting to know the individual and not focusing so much on that grade for me has been um, a really amazing change and a really enjoyable year despite the fact that we've been in such tumultuous times with COVID and in and out of college so I think for me it's it's getting to know that individual in the classroom that you're teaching and listening to their story and helping them to achieve what they need to achieve whilst they're in the college with you. Um, and I'll pass over to Kate. Thank you so much. Um, so because I've, uh, I've been to all these podcasts, obviously. Um, I decided on the on the last one not to talk about my values as a whole because um, I've done that already a, a couple of times, um, but to think about my values in relation to my practice, um, maybe specifically linked with with empathy, and um, what I've what I've thought about is how um, I really I really want students to be able to develop their their schemas I guess through the, the the literature that we look at through the discussions that we have um to build on their experiences and understanding of of others um and the things that other, other people kind of go through and and this this can develop them on a on more of a kind of pastoral um social emotional level um and then on a <laughs> probably with, with, the, with the teaching that I'm doing now, with it being initial teacher trainers, with regards to empathy, I really I really want the teachers to, um, to empathise with the students um, and how they might feel about being students who haven't got that level two qualification and who um, how it might feel to, to be that person who has constantly throughout their entire life been assessed against various standards in English um, it's, I mean, it starts at, my, my son's one and a half and he's assessed on his um, communication skills and things, which is fine because it's, it's developmental at this point. When they start doing exams, I think it's year two when this, people start deciding whether or not that, that person is actually meeting the requirements that they should be meeting at that age um, and, and whether or not they're developing in the way that they should be or like as far as society is concerned, I guess. Um, and all the way until they get to, to school, get to college, sorry, they're, they're being tested in this way. Um, and I just, I spend a lot of time trying to support teachers to, like I say, to empathize with those students so that they can actually see the point of supporting them to develop their literacy skills, whether it's in a vocational class or a pastoral role or, or an English class or a maths class. Um, and then I, I guess my third one, because I always have to think of three, because I'm an English specialist, rule of three and all that, um, would be promoting diversity through literacy. So um, enabling students, teachers, whoever whoever I'm working with, um, to, like I said before, like understand other people's experiences in more depth and um, be more accepting of other people through this empathy that they can they can develop through through literacy. And English is a subject specialism. I think that's me done on that topic. And once again, what I absolutely love about everybody who's been in, involved in this podcast is that there is a clear link through every one of these people's values, which is the student and the well-being of that student. Um, 
and I, I love this question about values um, because you really find out who that person is in a really short amount of time. Um, and I just, I just think that's magical with the thinking environment personally. So we're going to move on to um, the discussion element of our podcast, um, which starts with asking our guests, what does your subject specialism look like as a practice of developing empathy in others? And this time we're going to ask Pam to start. Um, for me, um, empathy is about building connections. It's about Did I mute myself there? Sorry. You did, yeah. Start again. Over. I'm going to ask Pam to start this time. Sorry. All right. So for me, um, empathy is about building connections. I had a really profound um, lesson or lessons this year after the second lockdown when we returned back to college after Christmas. Um, I, I decided to. I decided that even though the exam wasn't too far away that it was really important to me to go back into that classroom and to give my learners a different experience to to get to know each other and to get behind or to listen to everybody's individual story so we looked and I wanted to build those connections because I think that's where empathy starts empathy isn't a, a pat on the head empathy is about understanding where somebody's story is coming from and so I just came across something on the internet and it was um, a one minute talk and um, one of my students um, who a lovely lovely man really quiet um, he did his one minute talk and he talked about wanting to go to Hawaii he loved Hawaii Five-0. Um, and I was, oh, me and my husband, we like to go to Hawaii. We watched that. And it was like, it, it struck me how many times I've sat in a classroom and I've taught, even though my lessons are really interactive, I've taught these students what they needed to do to get through this exam. And it was really kind of an epiphany thinking, wow, what, what could we change if we actually really got to know each other? And, and you know, this, this one minute talking is, it's discussion, it's, it's communication, it's, you know, building a rapport with somebody, all skills that they need when they leave college. So for me, that was my change. And it was about thinking about how I could... By listening, I suppose, show them that, you know, I'm not the font of all knowledge that sits at the front of the classroom who will, you know, impart what they need to get the grade that is deemed, you know, a pass. Um, for me, it was about something different. It's about making English more, it's about that intrinsic motivation. It was about finding that connection that made English when they sat in the English classroom an occasion where it was something more than just the exam and it was um, um, an, an event where we could discuss things we could talk about things in the news and you know at the end of the day English even though it's in college it's condensed into those those exam questions that you know, one and three quarter hour exam at the end of it, it is English is everywhere. English and people haven't changed throughout the centuries. And that's why if you read a novel or you read, you know, an extract from a novel, the emotions of the characters and the things that the characters have, have experienced are things that, you know, people go through every single day of their lives. And for me, by building that rapport with the students and by trying to, empathize with them and showing them how to empathize with the character it, it's not a th it's not a one-dimensional person it's a 3d person that things have happened to so for me um it was about that and I think that 
I wanted to break down the barrier of the shame because I, I, there are so many students who sit in a class and you ask them a question and they, you know, they, they either won't answer or they're too shy to answer or it's that whole thing of like if I don't have the perfect answer, then I'm going to look stupid and I'll feel stupid and I'll feel ashamed. And for me, it was it's getting past that. It's somehow, you know, I'm massively influenced by, by Brene Brown. And this I was idea. I literally just about to say about Brene Brown and how I can just hear what you say, what you're saying, like, and how it links so much to her. But sorry, carry on. Yeah, it, 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 because it's something that you know she talks about shame, and shame is something that we've all experienced. Shame is something that I love the fact that she says that empathy is the um, antidote to shame, if you like. Um, the fact that if if you speak about the things that you feel ashamed about then it, it lessens the power it, it's like if you, it's like putting it into the light and so for me the empathy starts with that understanding the shame that they come with and to to show them that you know they aren't any different to anybody else we all have the same experiences and fears and you know we all live with the pressure of being perfect or of being not enough you know, we're not pretty enough, we're not intelligent enough, we're not beautiful enough, we're not thin enough. And and, it, and it's it, we live in a society where we're never enough, you know, and, and that is compounded when they don't get the grade because they're not intelligent enough to get the grade. And I love the idea that, you know, creating a classroom where they can lose that armour, they can for an hour and a half a week or three hours a week you know come into an environment where they're allowed to be themselves and they're allowed to try and fail um and and, and that, I always say to them you know like if you look at a baby when a baby starts to to walk you know they'll take a few sets they'll fall down they'll take another few sets they'll fall down and it's that and it's like I think that there's too much emphasis on being perfect or we tend to shy away from things we won't do things because the result won't be perfect and for me what I've started to do this year with regards to empathy is to try and break that barrier down and to try and make those connections and to allow them to feel or to to, to try and help them to feel joy when they're in the English classroom and to you know, it, it to be just something completely different than the, than they've experienced before. And I think in some ways, you know, I, I think I achieved that, but it, it's like everything else, you know, at the end of the day, as, as, a, as a teacher, as an educator, you're always learning. And so for me, this is the beginning of learning about Brene Brown and how I can implement that in the classroom and how... It can benefit and I think Nancy Klein as well is another one I love the idea you know the thinking environment where you know you I when I first um, experienced the thinking environment I found it really empowering I'm not a person for speaking up in meetings and things like that but when somebody gave me the opportunity to speak for a few minutes I found it really exhilarating and I think with learners I think if you can introduce it early enough and get them used to it, I think it can only benefit. You're going to get their thoughts and you, it will help them to verbalise an analysis rather than it just be written on paper all the time, which is the thing that most of them struggle with. Um, and... You know what, Pam, there's, there's so much that I want to pick up on that you've just been talking about that I think I'm going to have to like mention a few things. And You know how um, you were just talking about how the English classroom isn't just about the exam and um, there's obviously so much more that we do with our students in that classroom. And Sarah mentioned the same about, um, you know, there's, there's the language facts that we teach them, but then there's also the experiences that we give them and, and all that kind of stuff. And in the past, um, I remember actually talking to my English colleagues about um, 
what else could we call this subject? Because we've got that lifelong barrier that's up there. Um, like you say, this, this, this shame that they carry around with them, that is, I have not achieved this thing that I'm supposed to be able to achieve at this stage of my life. Um, and that has happened to them over and over again. And if we continue to call it English, will they ever engage? And it's like, I mean, I, I've never actually come up with a different name for it. And the exam is called English language or functional skills English. So we're kind of in a position where we do need to call it English and maths. Uh, I mean, we've called it core skills, numeracy, key skills, functional skills, aren't they? They've, they've tried to call it funky skills, which is one of the ones that I absolutely hate. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think there is so much in this session that, that they develop. And it's there's, there's so much linked to um, the personal, social, and emotional kind of side of it all that's linked to it. Um, you know, what, 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 do you th- what do you think about that? I think absolutely right. I think uh, another thing that it, it, it's when, when students tend to not speak, it's that it's the idea, if, if I'm not seen, then I'm okay. Then, you know, nobody's gonna pick on me. And for me, the beauty of English and yeah what what else could we call it I don't know mm-hmm. um it's it's a it, it's about unpicking hu- the human condition mm, yeah I, I agree like, Romeo and Juliet for most you know teenagers oh, Shakespeare I don't understand it you know silly language but if you really sort of strip it back at the end of the day that that love between those two young people that forbidden love that the familial problems everything that go with it that's something that is just as current now as it was then absolutely i'm going to thank you pam and i'm going to ask sarah if she would like to tell us a bit about how her specialism what sorry what what your specialism looks like as a practice of developing empathy and others because i think there's going to be loads of things that link but then there's going to be some really interesting contrast too yeah i mean i was just thank thank you kate i was just thinking what you were saying there about uh, the human condition was really trying to find those universal themes we, the themes of family forbidden love perhaps perhaps we've all had uh, a, a love angst in our lives or we could uh, re- maybe relate to a situation in somebody else's life that's that's t- you know a friend that's that's touched on us so I think it's a, trying to find the universal current that runs through and so for me um my in my practice um developing empathy in others really well starts and ends in building relationships so from in my situation the class with my adult learners who want to be in that class they have chosen to come to learn English so I'm perhaps coming at it from a different angle or a different situation but that class time isn't just to learn the language the English language but it is also a time to learn about other people it's an opportunity in ESOL for people from all around the world to meet and make friends with people who they might otherwise not never have met um, and never been able to to speak to to find out about um, so there are certain things i do like the getting to know you icebreakers as part of induction where we learn about each other's names and countries and languages and our, our different family life and work and, and aspirations but what, what I really mean is um, trying to reach an insight into other lives, uh, an understanding of, of different people. The ESOL classroom is hugely diverse. It's a whole range of people, all ages, all nationalities, all walks of life, all types of prior educational experience from absolutely nothing to high-flying professionals and we're all in a mix together and um, I know uh, perhaps I'm going to give a bit more information about the circle process later 
but part of part of the process is it's based on roles. It's based on dividing up a language reading text into six different roles so that um, six, a group of six students will all read the same text, but they're reading for a slightly different purpose. That's partly to cut down the, uh, the sort of mental effort it takes to understand the text. If you're learning, you're learning the new language, you've got to try to maybe decode some of these words. You're not perhaps a fluent reader. Um, and it's also so that when people come together to talk about their reading, there are six different views to bring to the conversation because they've all been reading from slightly different perspectives. But that I see it most clearly in the circle in a role that's called the connector. And the connector's role is to read a text, to try to look for things that are similar or different between that text and their own daily life or their own cultural traditions. So that can be specifically personal if the person feels confident to share their own personal connection, but it could be an, an anecdote, something they've heard from family or friends or in the news, a, a different story on the television, perhaps the radio or the internet or YouTube or a poster on a bus, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just some kind of link that they're, they're making, um, that they are really opening then a window into another life or an, another point of view. And sometimes that's something that the other five people in the group might recognize and immediately empathize with. It's a shared experience. They, they, they've lived through it themselves or they've heard about it themselves. So um, I'm thinking of a conversation between three students. They were actually talking about cooking sweet corn. That's how it started. We were talking about food. Food is a huge part of the cultural conversation and experience that happens in East. So we love to have a good air. Uh, food celebration in ESO, you get to try all sorts. Um, but this conversation that started talking about how to cook sweet corn, just it, it took a turn into farming traditions, farming practices in different countries. And um, how, where one, where one student mentioned it's peaceful here, meaning, you know, peaceful in the UK, it's peaceful here, there's democracy. But where this student is from, she said, it's, um, there's, it's different. It's different in my country. Here there are machines. And in my country, we use two cows in the field. And somebody else mentioned, well, there aren't cows in my field. It's just, it's just people in the fields. And that third person sort of brought in, well, it's good to have a tractor, but you need money and it's not safe to go out in, in, in her country at the night time. You can't go to the shops because it's too dangerous. And although they didn't actually directly say, yes, that's the same in my country, you can, I could see from their, from their body language, from their nods, from, from, from their sort of non-verbals, they all understood this situation about how hard it can be to be a farmer and how hard it can be to nip out to the shops because you're not sure of your own safety. So they, they all recognize something in that, in, that, in that exchange. And it built a connection between them because they, were, they came as strangers, but they realized they all had something in common at the same, you know, by the end of their conversation. Sometimes the connector's role opens up uh, a, a new perspective. It's uh, it, it, people learn something new, they don't quite immediately understand. Um, and then it takes a bit of time to talk it over and to, and, and to reflect. Um, so I'm thinking of a time when we were talking about char charity is, on the, is, is a topic on the scheme of work. And we were talking about uh, Race for Life is how it started, talking about Race for Life events. And one other student mentioned about 
at um, reasons for donating to charity in their country, which was if you have an accident like a car crash, but you, you're uninjured, uh, you give money to the charity to say thank you for being lucky and for, and for being alive. And somebody else mentioned, oh, yes, in my country, if you, if you have a bad dream and you wake up, you give money then. And that was a really perplexing idea for, for a, a different student who perhaps, I think, has, I don't know if this is a sweeping statement, but is perhaps more of a European idea of charity, that you donate things to help other people because you see that they are in a difficult situation rather than you give money to be grateful for your own good luck. It was a kind of reversal of thinking of why you would donate to charity. Yeah, that's really, really interesting, yeah. Um, and just talking that through, just talking that through, the, the student that was really struggling to try to think about the opposite or an opposite perspective, her comment was, Talking like talking about things like that, talking about differences, that's really important because knowing another culture, having the chance to explore things together is a chance to learn about each other um, and to to understand people, to understand things differently, perhaps to change your own ideas, your own your own previous ideas, and to try to. Um, learn from other people and and accept that there is diversity and different views different views in the world what of um what's coming through from from both of what you're saying that's that's kind of a bit of a realization for me um for me i was kind of thinking of empathy as something we could develop in, in students and learners because they could um read about other people's experiences or or imagine they were somebody else when they're writing but actually, both of the both of the things that sorry the things that both of you have been saying has been all about speaking and listening. And actually, when we're teaching students how to empathise with one another, that that cannot possibly happen if they don't listen well to one another, and if they don't articulate themselves well either. Um, I mean, Pam's idea of the one minute talk—it's very much like the human library. I don't know if you've um, come across that before, Pam. That. Um, one of, in one of the other podcasts that was mentioned and it's I don't, I don't know loads about it but it, it seems like it's um there's a there's a bunch of people and instead of going to research something in a book you go and speak to the person and find out all about them and their experiences and and um and you learn that way which again it's not kind of written down or it, there's nothing they have to read it's all about interaction with one another and and everything Sarah's saying is about talking 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 I think well actually yeah I think I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but with regards to ESOL, mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that a lot of the learning of the language starts with the speech and then is developed using the reading and the writing afterwards. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a kind of underlying principle that if, uh, a, if a student can't speak the word, then there shouldn't be... A, it, it, it doesn't always hold true because uh, in ESOL we have something we call a spiky profile. So mm -hmm. you could have an extreme, uh, someone who can read very well, but they can't write very well, or they find it difficult to, to, to speak. I mean, that might be, a, that may well be a confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of basic underlying principle is speak it first, read it, and then, and then write it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think, Pam, but um, with functional skills and GCSE students, it can be very much the same. I mean, you can have a really in-depth debate and um, like you say, you can share experiences and everything, but then they'll really struggle to write it down. Um, so it's just an interest. It's just it's just like in my mind, it's just kind of all slotting into place with the the development from speaking and listening to reading to writing. And, and it, that's probably something that I already knew about, but hadn't seen it quite that clearly before. But I think the reading, I mean, from my, from my situation, the, the reading is, if, we, if they haven't read first, no, uh, well, I mean, ideally, ideally, the reading, the reading for the circle happens first, and that's the springboard, that's the scaffold for the conversation. But the, then the conversation, the conversation does take over from the reading. Mm. It becomes all about their own 
lived experience as uh, um, that's there's an echo that, that you know there's an echo from their lived experience that they can bring into their conversation mm. uh, I was listening to Brene Brown today again <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she said that as human beings we're programmed to tell our story and I think that's true and I think that perhaps this is literally from the top of my head now but throughout school as you said earlier on Kate you know the children are tested 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 and I remember when my son was seven he did his sats and he didn't do very well and I remember and I said he's seven and you know his mind wanders and his teacher said well Adam's got to remember that in the real world it's all about tests and I was he's seven <laughs> and, and, and I think that is that it are we are we are we losing sight of the richness of communication the richness of telling stories that you know the vast majority of students can read a text and can empathize and can say the most beautiful things about you know something that's happening in the story that they've read but the minute they come to write it down that's when the problem starts and that's for various different reasons but for me and you know Elizabeth Draper the speaking and listening element of it is so important I've seen some you know a few years ago when there was the role play element of the speaking and listening and I've, I've, I've witnessed things that have reduced me to tears because they've been so beautiful and somebody somewhere in the government decided that wasn't you know worthy of any credit in the exam um but it but it is and and, and even Absolutely bonkers, I said. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. You know, and, you, and you've got, you know, young men. A couple of years ago, I had a lad, and he was, you know, the class clown, all the rest of it. But he did his speaking and listening, and he came in, and he got his notes, and he was and he took it really seriously. And, and, it, and it comes from within, you know, and, and, and it's that, that, that's that next level of, of, of empathy, of thinking, of analysis, of, you know, thought processes, that perhaps these students just find it so difficult to put down on a piece of paper, but, and, and, and you know, I think it's that, it's that, how do we, as you said, Kate, you know, how do we get them to engage with something that's only ever going to be, other than when we're in COVID, unfortunately, you know, something that you write down, mm. um, because, you know, for the vast majority of us in life, we, we engage verbally. Mm. It's not often we, 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 you know, we have to, unless it's an email or something, but mm. I think, you know, it's that real life element, you know, as you said, Sarah, it's discussion mm. brings out things from people. People didn't even think they were going to say. They had yeah. no intention of saying them. I mean, maybe they thought this is closely guarded, it's personal, I don't want to, but through the process of be becoming more comfortable with people in the group they might then want to disclose it or it might just be something that bubbles up to the surface in the moment and just yeah comes, just comes out I think it's it's that that building of confidence that development of that um environment where they feel safe to do that but also offering opportunities where that subject comes up if that makes sense you know like you say if it's a really really guarded piece of information it wouldn't perhaps come up in sort of natural conversation but if we create an environment where we are talking about complex issues and we are talking about um you know barriers and difficulties in lives and 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 challenges and things and creating that that opportunity to you know to offer empathy to one another this is their chance to actually speak um and you know what i feel like we could talk about this all night but we're going to have to move on to the next question (laughs) um so I think we should do this as a thinking round. Um, and remember to keep it succinct because we're coming to the end of our time. So um, the next question is, how does your practice influence change in the context of empathy? Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask Sarah to go first this time, please. OK, so i'd like to start just by clarifying what i've talked about circles a couple of times i just like to clarify what i mean by that um circles is as i've mentioned it's a group of people coming to coming together to talk about uh, a text 
like a reading group. Think of it like a book club. Um, but you can also use the circle method to help people to talk through a writing task. And um, what the way it works in the integrated circle that I've been uh, testing out is as the teacher, I choose a text which is which is based on the scheme of work because I've still I've got to keep my teachers college data skills for life hat on. Um, so I choose a text, but I choose it on the basis that I think it's going to help the students to um, think and uh, make some notes for for the for a group discussion about that text. And when their discussion has finished, it's followed up by a teaching and learning point that would build on language exemplified in that in that reading that leads into the linked writing task. And throughout this thinking, note taking, uh, talking, planning, writing, writing uh, process, we are feeding back to each other, uh, reflecting on the conversations we have about reading and writing. And that's to help us to find um, were there any gaps in language knowledge or about each other that we uh, we want to we want to close up, and that that circle's based on roles. So some are for language accuracy, like comprehension and cohesion, like summarizing a text or finding text specific language features or punctuation. Uh, the passage person focuses on sentence and the word master on vocabulary that's necessary for that text information and sequencing. But they can also uh, can also feed forward into their own personal use, their own daily life. A discussion leader widens the circle to identify themes and feelings in in a text, and the connector brings that cultural, personal perspective. But the point is that the roles give every student a specific task and a reason to think and to contribute. So, in my day to day practice, I find that that really is giving me the chance to try to make and hold open spaces in the classroom for individual spaces where they are learning and, and using English, but in a wider way than the ESOL curriculum, which is, which is based on the National Adult ESOL core curriculum, which was published in 2001 under the Skills for Life policy, but it's still used today. It's the way that ESOL is organized, it, it breaks. Uh, language into five levels of proficiency from level sorry from entry one beginners up to level two which is um, equivalent to, to GCSE grades four and up um, and that that core curriculum is focused on English for work training education and social integration and I have to work under that remit because the exams are based on that curriculum but that circles process is a space for students to have serious, meaningful conversations about their own lives and experiences and thoughts and feelings and using those as their frame of reference for their language learning. So I'm widening the context that language is presented, traditionally presented and practiced in, in ESOL. And, um, it helped me to uh, encourage change in, in the FE college where I'm, where I'm working as, as an institution. Um, it's a process that other teachers are already using in some of our teenage groups and employability classes. And our GCSE and functional skills department are also interested in the method. Um, it's helped me to build better relationships with the college library so the readers have been reorganized and that means that our students of all levels and students from other subject areas can now independently find and choose their own reading materials and um, in a couple of weeks I'm starting a reading group um, to you know to carry the integrated circle work work forward um, but I think the at the heart at the heart of circles the change is with the actual people that participate in that circle it's seeing that building growing sense of confidence and and ownership of what's going on in the classroom in their groups 
um, and 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 um, knowing, sort of seeing that they're able to see for themselves. I've started at this point, and I am slowly progressing. I'm slowly making changes in this new life that I am starting in this new country. Um, thank you. Could I please pass to Pam? Okay, so for me, um, I feel that my influence is almost on a continuum. I don't know. I think, I think I've started a journey, if you like, and I think I'm hoping that, you know, these ideas of empathy and shame and vulnerability um, will be something that I'll carry forwards um, into this next academic year. Um, for me, I think, going back to what you said earlier on, Kate, about um, diversity, culture and diversity. So for me, I think where I would like to have some influence is um, stepping away from the literary canon a little bit and using more diverse texts. Um, I've just read um, two brilliant books by Candice Brathwaite, um, I'm not your baby mama and sister sister um and that deals with her um growing up as a black woman in um britain i love glennon doyle's um untamed and for me i want to use texts that will allow us to again have discussions to empathize to look at other cultures, other lives, you know, the ethnicities, you know, look at different how, you know, women are affected in, in today's society. So for me, that's kind of the direction that I'm going in, hoping that it's a bigger picture. And again, I don't want to approach this next academic year in that English happens in that classroom for three hours a week and then that's it it's done you know for me I want it to escape the classroom I want to try and ignite something in the learners that will want them to explore this world that we live in and all the wonderful individuals that are in this world and to be able to empathize and to build connections meaningful connections with people who are different to themselves. You know, we talk about equality, but maybe it's the celebration of the differences in life that, you know, we need to embrace a little more in our classrooms. Um, and I think looking at how my practice can influence colleagues, um, I think, you know, thinking pairs, thinking environments, you know, Nancy Klein, having those kind of meetings at work, um, giving people, giving, even at work in, in a meeting, people are not always given the opportunity to speak. And I think for me, the influence that I've tried to have is to bring in these thinking environments, these thinking pairs, which will allow my colleagues to, well, it, it, it has actually, it's allowed us to, come up with to, to understand that we're on the same page and to to move our teaching in a different direction to something that we've you know previously done so I think for me it's that whole giving people a voice and being able to connect with those um and I'll hand it up to Kate Thank you so much. Um, so how does my practice influence change in regards to empathy? So I think the greatest influence um, that I can have at the moment as a teacher trainer is what I spoke about earlier with regards to helping um, training teachers to understand the complexities of, and the difficulties that um, further education students might have encountered with regards to, to their English skills. Um, 
and valuing themselves as a person who can support their students to develop in those areas. So listening to you guys just then, um, Pam talked about it, escaping the classroom, English escaping the classroom. And then with the integrated circles, the amount of people who've, who've Sarah's engaged in this and um, how it's it's gone on to sort of policy with regards to, well, policy and um, procedure, I guess, with regards to how the library's set up. There's so much influence we can have on all these different individuals that imagine if every teacher engaged in that, because <laughs> um, English is in everything. So I think that's where I'm going to stop. Um, no, it's not. I'm going to mention one thing that um, you guys reminded me of as, as you were speaking. And it was a training um, training package that I created in one of the colleges I worked at. And we named it the TEAM approach. And TEAM was an acronym for Teach English and Maths. And it was about how everybody can contribute to those students developing their English and math skills. And the three of us, I think, have talked about ways that could apply to every single person in, in that, that student or that learners, um, in their learning environment, you know, in their in their lives in general. So um, hopefully people have people have listened have, have picked up something that they can take away from this, but because I certainly have. So thank you so much for that. We're going to finish now on a freshest thinking round. Um, freshest thinking is where I ask our guests to tell me, uh, well, to tell each other, to tell us as a group. Um, after all of that information that we've just shared, what is their freshest thinking right now? And I'm going to invite Pam to go first, please. My freshest thinking is that Tonight's been an amazing experience and it's been invaluable to listen to you ladies and to share in your practice and to have that knowledge for me moving forwards. Um, my fresh thinking also is that how do we, how do we in FE make that difference to enthuse our students you know with English um, because I do genuinely think that they lose it at school somehow um, and I think some I think also I think for me I've been thinking a lot recently about how there's, there's that age isn't there as a child where you'll do anything you'll get up on the stage and you'll recite a poem and you'll sing and you know you'll dance and you know think about shame you, you, do, you don't care what people think about you you just do it and for me it's I want to somehow bring that back into my classroom somehow I don't know <laughs> rewind time a little bit or you know just give the the learners that confidence to and, and it's something that I need to work on as well and I think you know maybe a lot of people need to work on it, it, it it's you know being that small child again for and being brave and stepping into the arena again brave around and, and, and just having a go at something and not being frightened of failure um, I think that's my freshest thinking and I'll pass on to Sarah Thank you I, uh, I really don't know where to start I just think this has been an amazing experience for me personally to have the chance to speak with you both and um, I just feel I feel really inspired I want to hit my library right now except it's closed and I just want to I just want to search out all kinds of different all different stories that I can take into the classroom and I because I know how um vital they are to uh act as a springboard for our conversation our conversations and I know how important those conversations are for our for, you know for the learning situation for our ESOL students um, I. I think we've maybe touched on the fact that a modern day focus of skills, you know, the exam, the exam focus, it can really take the joy out of English when it should be such a joy. You know, it could be, it can be such a joyful experience and a lifelong, lifelong experience. I still have books myself that I read when I was a 
child and I will never be parted from those books. They're, they're with me for life. It's part, it's part of my history. And I can't ever imagine not being a reader, not enjoying language, not enjoying words, and knowing that there are always new words new to learn, new stories to, uh, to, find, to find out about. So exams aren't the only goal, Pam. I think you mentioned that earlier. Exams aren't the only goal and that all of us together are working on supporting our students with the confidence to live their own lives. And Kate, you mentioned about um, that's, that includes understanding and accepting different people and diversity and all our different stories. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful message from you two ladies. And that's what I'm gonna take away with me. Thank you. Over to Kate. Thank you so much. Gosh, my freshest thinking. Um, of course, I am eternally grateful to you both for giving up your, what day is it? Thursday evening to me to, to share these wonderful experiences, thoughts, developments in your own practice. Um, one thing I've taken away is um, I'm absolutely going to, read Sarah's research about integrated circles <laughs> um it sounds really intriguing and um th there are some similar kind of tasks I've done like that I think I can I can link with what Sarah's saying um where I put them in, in groups and everybody always has a role but to actually put some theory behind that would be really interesting and, and to see how I can I can improve that process and, and find other ways of of applying it um and what Pam said, she's, you know, what, what you've talked about, you, you're clearly incredibly passionate about um, your students feeling accepted for who they are and having a space to develop um, that's really, really comfortable and, and, and safe. And what you've talked about with regards to speaking about shame um, makes it, it's like the antidote to I can't remember exactly what you said, but I'll have to look back on it. But like talking about shame is the antidote to shame or something like that, you said. Um, and it made me think about one of the sessions that I'm delivering um, during induction where I'm trying to encourage students to actually actually fess up that they might not know how to use an apostrophe because this is the time you are with people who are here to support you. This is your development circle. Um and there's nothing to be ashamed about. And there's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is trying to develop students' skills in English when they've, like I've said earlier, when they've had so many times where somebody's tried to do that already. Maybe it's not the skills that we need to focus on first. Maybe it is removing the shame first. It doesn't matter about modelling, about being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I can't do that either or or whatever it is. And, and that's what I want to explore in more detail. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to thank you so much for coming. I'm going to invite you to say goodbye to everyone, yourselves as well. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you so much and goodbye. Lovely. Thanks so much, everybody. And goodbye for now. We hope our thinking has sparked some innovative thoughts around your own practice. Thank you so much for listening.